Greetings from Trials of the Apocalypse. Trials of the Apocalypse is an actual play podcast telling one-shot stories in a variety of Powered by the Apocalypse games, rotating players and systems each time. More and more with every new arc, we tightly edit and master our audio, injecting it full of music and sound effects to immerse you in the story. Our stories are full of badass characters. Now he's just a guy. Yes. I'm a small gang. You are. Oh, oh no. Yes. <laughs> I don't rinse the shotgun from oh, his hand. Oh, you cut his arm off. I take his hand. Complicated relationships. Go kill a man for mommy, hmm? It wouldn't be the first time. Would be on and this it continent. won't be the last. Would it be the first time on this continent? Does Iceland count as Europe or North? It's, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. We have a job to do. And lots of friends having fun. I don't know if you could hear my popping in the mic, but a little bit. That was my bones. I'm trying to get into the oh. spirit of ghost lines. Why are you removing your bones? <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to become closer to a ghost? Every arc is independent from the others, so you can go back and listen to previous games in any order, or come and join us for our newest, playing Brindlewood Bay, a story of three older retired women who while solving murder mysteries in their sleepy bayside town, begin to uncover a dark cult which underpins them. Find us in your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Trials of the Apocalypse. See you there. Hello, and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the show of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and nerd culture in general. I'm your host, uh, Mike Daniel, and once again, I'm joined by a very special guest here. Well, once again, a guest, but uh, very first time on the show here today, I've got uh, David Easley with us from Trials of the Apocalypse. David, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, Really happy to join you for this today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have you on as well. Um, Why don't you tell us and tell our listeners a little about yourself here and kind of what brought you onto the show? Sure, sure. I can do that. Uh, So as was already introduced, I'm David. Uh, I am the host, producer, uh, editor, Twitter goblin uh, for uh, our our podcast, uh, Trials of the Apocalypse. Uh, The podcast is mostly about doing one shots in different Powered by the Apocalypse games. We switch around systems and players and do little mini arcs uh, for each of the systems, trying to showcase what makes that system really cool and and, and neat and interesting. Uh, And I, I run the games for that. Um, I've been in the TTRPG scene for several years now, mostly uh, not on the scene, so to speak. Our our podcast only began at the beginning of this year, but Mm. I've uh, been an avid player for several years now. Uh, I've run weekly games. I think at one point I was running three games a week for for several months. Uh, Thankfully, I'm down to just two right. right now, which is a bit more manageable. But uh, I am just an avid player. Uh, I love world building. I love character creation. I love all of the storytelling that really makes tabletop RPGs special to me. I, I grew up uh, a very, very avid reader. Uh, there was uh, feels like 10 or 15 years there where I was reading three to five books a week. 
Mm. And I came out of that with, of course, like an intense love for for story, for storytelling, for for character and plot. Uh, and when I first ran across uh, I, I, my first encounter with RPGs, as it is for many, was through D and D. And when I first was introduced to it, I was immediately hooked on just the ability to spin those stories and and be an active participant, not just not just a consumer, right? So. For sure, yeah. The collaborative storytelling aspect of D and D and other tabletop RPGs, I think that's something that draws you know a lot of people into the scene for sure. Yeah, it's it's something that's really special about it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, sort of a, a modern take on you know the, a very ancient practice of of telling each other stories, right? So, absolutely. Um, yeah, and a, a kind of common theme here I'm, I'm pulling from many of our, our guests now. I'm noticing of just, you know, playing as many games per week as, as possible <laughs> seems to be a pretty common trend. Uh, so I'm glad that uh, you, you share that in common with the, the rest of us here um, and, and the other guests we've had as well. Um, but yeah, so welcome. Really great to have you. I've been a, a fan of the show since you all started up. And uh, yeah, uh, really really enjoy the um the different aspects on the powered by the apocalypse uh systems that uh, kind of come up in y'all's uh, y'all's one shots there um and how one sort of core system has inspired so many like vastly different games that have come out of it that's that's really great yeah um, just y'all are you know always having a great great time and um <laughs> just you know in, enjoying your game and that makes the show that much more enjoyable as well so um yeah, one of yeah, the so it's a lot of fun to listen to for sure. Well, thank you. Uh, that it it really always you know makes my day to to hear about people enjoying the show because uh, it's it's always fun for us to play it, and it's mm-hmm. of, often fun, sometimes tedious for me to do the editing for it. <laughs> right. Uh, but being able to share those stories with others and for have to have them enjoy them too is uh, really rewarding. So. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, again, really glad to have you on the show here. Um, we are going to be talking a little bit about, uh, you know, how to create uh, NPCs for for your games. Something that is just pretty vital to all tabletop RPGs. Absolutely, is, you know, the the characters that the DM has to or the GM has to play, you know, outside of those um, those the player characters and and who they're playing. You get to be everybody else, right? So. Um, that's what we're we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, before we get started on that, though, David, I do have a very, very important question for you, though. Hit me. So if you could choose to eat any devil fruit, Ooh. what would it be? Oh, great question. Uh... <laughs> and uh, for our listeners who may not be aware, what I'm referring to is the devil fruits from the uh, manga and uh, anime One Piece. Uh, it's basically one of the superpower mechanics within the game or with not the game within the um, uh, the world of the manga and the show. Uh, individuals can eat these fruits and then they gain sort of a superpower related to uh, that particular fruit there. So, David, I'm, I'm curious, what would you choose? Oh, man, that is a, such a tough decision. Uh, <laughs> I know it's hitting you with the serious questions. You're I right know. Up front, so. uh, I mean, I think. I think Law, uh, Trafalgar Law, has one of the mm. most seriously cool fruits with his his room ability, uh, being able sure. to to you know finitely control things within a space uh, is very very neat. That, that I would say is up there for me, uh, just for for the the weirdness of it. I've always really liked the wax the wax wax fruit. 
Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that, three. that number three uh, had. Yeah. Um, it's it's like oddly convenient being able to to you know produce wax and make things out of it. Being able to have that that logia ability where you know objects can pass through your body that's very Mm -hmm. very convenient in a a world packed with as much violence as one piece is (laughs) absolutely um man that's just there's so many broad talents in that Mm -hmm. in that sphere it's 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 a tough question to be able to you know pick just one um (sighs) ah i'm trying to go for a deep reach i'm thinking is there is there any (laughs) Is there anyone that's like, oh, actually, one that's uh, sort of under underappreciated, maybe, uh, is, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, she has the the ghosts that when they pass through you, they make you super depressed. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Perona? Is yes, that her name? yeah, I think it's Perona. I think yeah. you're right. Uh, yeah. Perona's is absurdly strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, Just it, making everyone instantly depressed. I mean, them. being able to. Except for Usopp, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, but that's because he's just already <laughs> that way, right? Right. But like being able to bring uh, people with like willpower, like, you know, like Zoro, like like Luffy, bringing able to mm-hmm. bring, bring them to their knees and unable to fight uh, is just pretty wildly powerful. Um, and also she can like leave her body and stuff, which is pretty cool like mm-hmm, for sure yeah definitely some like astral projection and possession yeah. type abilities that she's got for sure so i would say i would say hers is actually pretty up there for me that's like it's a very niche ability but like if i was in mm-hmm. the one piece universe that is a very very strong skill to have especially if you don't like you know want to fight a bunch of people fight a bunch of people yourself mm-hmm. uh, being yeah. able to just you know stop them and get out <laughs> yeah for sure in- incredibly useful uh there and, and incredibly powerful absolutely mm-hmm. How about, um, how about you? Yeah, it's something that I, I've, <laughs> you know, all, often pondered to myself here. And that's why I kind of put you on the spot with it is because <laughs> it is a really tough question uh, to answer. And I've always struggled to answer it for myself as well. Um, you know, I think uh, Smokers, Ooh, Devil yeah. Fruit, the Plume Plume Fruit was is one that's always stood out to me. Um, like you said, kind of that Logier, maybe it's Paramecia type, just the ability to sort of transform your body into this sort of element um, of smoke. And um, yeah, it just provides for a lot of really neat variety a- as well. Uh, I was also a you know smoker for a long time here, thankfully <laughs> have quit, but I think that has a, a big impact on, on my decision as well. Um, but also more recently, because uh, I've been rewatching One Piece with Hannah, um, and we just recently got through the uh, the War of the Best arc or mm. the uh, that arc there. And uh, Marco's Phoenix Fruit some, was something that really stood out to me uh, on that watch. Like I thought it was cool the first time around, and I know like I'm I'm not caught up with what's going on currently, but I know he's somewhat involved in. Uh, sort of what's what's been going on recently or what will be transpiring here yeah he, um, he's, so I'm he definitely shows up in wano back. okay yeah yeah i'm I'm unfortunately not caught up on wano because i well I, I decided to stop in uh after whole cake island mm-hmm. because i just moved in with hannah and she was starting to watch the show as well so i'm like well let's let's let you get caught up and i'll let the show get ahead and that way i don't have to worry about you know watching it week to week and always being on the edge of my seat all of the time <laughs> um, as one piece is, is want to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so him, uh, him showing up in, uh, in the, uh, the pirate war uh, arc or I'm totally blanking on the correct name for it. Um, but uh, 
yeah, that that was something that really stuck out to me. I was like, oh, that's a pretty kick-ass devil fruit there, being able to turn into a phoenix. And it's also kind of got the Logia thing where his body is sort of fire as well because he's got the awakened um, ability there. So Yeah, he's sort of got yeah. the best of all worlds. Like, he can yeah. fly because he's got a bird-type a bird type zone. Yep. Uh, it's a legendary one, so he's got cool powers along with his mm-hmm. his bird his birdie form uh and like he has healing fire and it can also hurt like it's <laughs> right he's very much a jack of all trades with his yeah for sure and i think that's that's why that one is is one that, that stands out similar to the uh the ghost fruit that perona has right there's a lot of variance and nuance to it yeah um, and a lot of different ways to be able to use that ability so i think that's that's kind of why it stands out to me as well so cool um, and I, you know, I, I promised, uh, Hannah that we wouldn't spend the entire episode talking about one piece, <laughs> but I am going to sort of draw from that and, and sort of lead us into our conversation today. Because one thing that, that Oda does especially well, uh, is these sort of background characters that fill up the world of one piece. Right. Um, and I think there's a, definitely a lot to be drawn on from, from, uh, how he, sort of instills life to the world through these characters that we get, you know, little glimpses of here and there. Um, but David, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when it comes to like your, your own games and having to, you know, sort of fill in the world around the players, wh- wh- what are some of your tips or what, h- how do you get started with sort of creating some of those other, other characters? Where, where do you go to with that? Yeah, I, I th- definitely think uh, having Oda as a reference there is a great example uh, of, having characters that some of which only appear for a very very brief time and not having any of them really be like forgettable um Mm -hmm. and just because of the massive quantity you may forget some of them along the way uh (laughs) right it's bound to happen but they're unless unless the goal of that character is for them to be forgettable if they're just you know about someone in the background to ah you know get get impressed by something in a fight or something uh, but most of the time, there's little little bits of nuance, little bits of how the world has impacted that character. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest, most important feature that that all characters, all NPCs, uh, whether they're there on screen for three seconds or whether they're there for an entire campaign, the most important thing for them is that they uh, have they have lived in that world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like that's something that Oda does fanta- you know, phenomenally well. And it's something that in TTRPGs, uh, if you're trying to build a world that is uh, believable to your players, that that's immersive, having NPCs who feel like they're from there, even if they're only, you know, uh, uh, somebody tending shop uh, when your you know, when your player characters go to to buy some supplies for a journey. Uh, you know, what about their shop, you know, fits into this world? What about them running it? Like, you know, have they been there for years? Are they, you know, is this an old, you know, old hat to them? Are they, is this this their first day on a new job? You know, uh, what little Mm -hmm. things can you tie in to make them feel like people who, who live here too? Yeah, absolutely. I think those, those small, uh, details or aspects of their, their character, maybe bits that are, uh, sort of around their environment when you run into them as well can be you know very much telling as far as um the uh, the life that they've lived in in this world and in this location or maybe if they're in some place that you know is completely foreign to them like how do they respond to that as well right yeah um absolutely so um you know i i think 
there are a, a lot of ways to go about um you know, creating NPCs. And, and as I, uh, I mentioned in our, you know, a couple episodes back, a lot of really great questions to ask about character development in, in general. And I think that, you know, those, those definitely will hold true for, um, for NPCs as well, but uh, NPCs a lot of the time also tend to be, um, you know, less filled in, less, mm-hmm. less detailed. They're not as deep. There may be one or, or two dimensions to them and some clues that kind of, um, you know, pop out from there. And then like the more relevant that particular N- NPC co- becomes to the story, then the more kind of gets fleshed out about them. Right. Yeah. And one of the, um, one of the great things about that is that you can have a character who was designed to be a, a bit role who, who, you mm-hmm. know, or even was unintentional. Uh, I, I almost right. split uh, NPC creation into characters I, I mean to have uh, that I, I mm-hmm. want to exist here. My, my intentional NPCs. Uh, and then those who just, you know, there's a spur of a moment and we need one. And those are mm-hmm. much, much more unintentional. And one of the you know great things about, you know, longer running storytelling is those unintentional characters, especially if you do a good job of, of making them feel, you know, like they live there, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can sometimes sort of get adopted by the players as characters they love. And suddenly right. you have a new uh, sort of intentional NPC, right? <laughs> right by by popular demand <laughs> yeah a- absolutely i i mean i i don't think i could count on all of my hands and and both of my feet you know how, <laughs> how many npcs i've accidentally introduced to the party that they've they've adopted um i remember when i was running uh storm king's thunder uh, a couple of years ago they had an encounter with one of the the giant lords um and in the in the book it references this one uh, goblin that's like stuck in the sort of the fat rolls of this huge hill giant like duchess or whatever her her title is mm-hmm. um and it's like that that character i don't think really gets a, a name or you know anything like that they're just kind of this random goblin that's got the macguffin that the players need but he's also tucked inside of the fat rolls of this uh this uh <laughs> hill giant right yeah so they go through the whole fight and they kill her, the party does, and then they're searching around to find the treasure that they're looking for, and they end up finding this goblin. Um, and just because of the personality that I kind of gave to that goblin, and I gave it kind of a funny name, like, I, I think it was called like Snurt or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good name. And the party just decided to, like, he was their friend now. <laughs> like, you have lived a terrible life, come with us. Um, and he ended up being the pilot of the airship that they got and took around everywhere. So it's yeah, there's there's no telling like how uh, how much character evolution can come from someone that's just sort of a one off or, you know, you, you think it's just going to be kind of this bit player here. But the party decides, oh, no, we have adopted you now. So <laughs> then you have to figure out who that person is. Right. Yeah. That, that character. For sure. Uh, actually, I just had a, a very similar sort of thing happen in. Uh, a game that I've been running for, I, I started up one a few weeks back with Mike, my, my immediate family. Uh, int- mm-hmm. I've been able to introduce my parents to D&D, which is very cool. Oh, awesome. Uh, as well as uh, some of my brothers and, and stuff. And in that game, uh, there was a, a mission I had them where there was a, a goblin who'd come down from the mountains and he was like heralding the end of days. You know, you better probably go talk to him and see what's up. Uh, mm. And... Uh, they like, it was the same thing. Like I just happened to portray this character. We ended up naming him uh, Harold because he's a Harold. 
Okay. Yeah. Her- Harold the Herald. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, you know, really got a kick out of him. And he's been with them ever since because they haven't let him out of their sight. Mm, uh, nice. And now he matters. Right. And so now, yeah. like, you know, slowly get to flesh out who who Harold is and why, you know, not only what he had to say about the end of days, but why he why he was saying it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that does sort of uh, branch us into like when you are building an NPC, uh, you know, what mm-hmm. what is that information about them that makes them compelling or or interesting? Um, and it's a it's a pretty complicated question, I think, um, with sure. with with often simple answers. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I say simple because it's it's a very iterative process. Mm-hmm. Um, characters like Harold the Herald uh, do not become fully fledged people uh, in your first interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you start small. You start with 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 a seed. Um, in in his case, it was a roll. Uh, and then right. from that seed of you know he has this role he is a a goblin telling you know a, a story of the end of days. Um, well, what what does that mean for his character? So like you know you you start with that seed and then you start adding layers to it uh, mm-hmm. bit by bit. Yeah, absolutely, Nate. I think the um, something that you mentioned there is that you know he had a, a role to fill, right? And a, a lot of NPCs that we create as GMs. You know, that's that's the reason that they exist is because, oh, well, I need this shopkeeper or I need this quest giver or I need this person who is going to, uh, you know, interrupt things and and be sort of the target for the party. Like, what is what is that purpose, that person's purpose? Right. Like, why do they exist within the game? I think is a really great idea or a really great um, starting place for when it comes to, you know, concepting. Uh, NPCs and and building building out your world, right? What is everyone's role in this world? Why is it important that they exist within this game? You know, even if yeah. that reason is to be like a you know a joke that you thought of that you think would be you know <laughs> hilarious and you want to you know entertain your your friends with at the table, and then you'll never maybe see them again. Or the party decides then that they lo- really like that joke character and they come back. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> if the, you uh, if you the, ask anyone who who plays in in some of the the casual games I run, uh, mm-hmm. my my very favorite thing to do is to to think of a joke, th- think of a really stupid idea. And then mm-hmm. take it to its most absurd but logical conclusion. <laughs> uh, and excellent. You know, I have a I have a campaign that's founded on uh, there's like ten of these great families, and each one is uh, actually representative of a different fast food chain. Uh, <laughs> so I have I have the oh, Arches fantastic. family uh, who are who mm-hmm. represent McDonald's or the Golden Arches. Uh, <laughs> the they Arches. all have like blonde hair and red eyes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I've got like the. Do they all also have like the page boy or like the bowl cut as well? So their hair just kind of sits naturally in an arc because I feel like they, they need to have that. Oh, man. At least one of them. I, the, the only there's been one who's mainly been introduced so far in that game. And he's got sort of like ruffled, you know, tousled hair. Okay. Uh, but now I'm imagining that like that's pretty, you know, pretty rare for them. And most of them have like, you know, that very stock standard cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I like the uniformity of it and it's yeah, I, I've been leaning into it. And the best part about that one is I, I played it all very serious in that game at mm-hmm. first. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that we didn't have a lot of you know joking going on, but like 
I didn't for sure. I told them there was a joke behind all that, but I didn't tell them what the joke was. And mm, so it was okay. it was a year later uh, <laughs> that uh, they had just encountered uh, some people from the uh, the Silvers family, uh, which is Long John Silvers. Mm. Uh, and but they didn't know that. Excellent. Uh, and one of them made the joke like, oh, is the leader of that one Long John? Ha 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 ha. Uh, and I was like, oh, excellent. It's time. Uh, and then I, <laughs> then I explained to them what was going on. And uh, we all had a good laugh. And there was lots of like groaning because they realized some of the you know little seeds I'd planted over time mm. Mm. Uh, had been in reference to different things. But, but like that's one of the great things about again like about this collaborative storytelling is mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have to start off all serious uh, in order to even be used in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, founding things in a joke is one of the most entertaining ways to to make a character because. If a if the joke is funny, then you have like entertainment built in. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it's like you can take a joke and, and you can make it serious, but it's much harder to go in the other direction. Right. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Definitely uh, tough to create jokes out of the oh this very dark tragic yes. thing. Right. <laughs> like if we want to start off with kind of the joke concept, like we can kind of twist that and turn that around. And oh, well, oh, actually, shit, that's really really dark. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> Um, but then you also just have this sort of like natural lighter side of it. Oh, well, this is the Arches family in their McDonald's. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. uh, but yeah, for, for an NPC, uh, you know, you, you can found, you can start them with a seed of a joke. You can start them with a seed mm-hmm. of a role. Um, I, I always find that something that's really helpful as well is, especially for intentional NPCs with mm-hmm. considering, uh, at, at outset, when you're making this character, how do you want the party to feel about them? Because mm, um, mm-hmm. like sometimes you know, like oh, I have a really cool idea for a character, and they're going to be this way, and I wonder how the party's going to react. And I mean, that is certainly a uh, uh, one way to do it, um, and and there's nothing wrong about doing it that way. Um, mm-hmm. I think in my experience, I've found that specifically when I'm introducing an intentional NPC, and I want them to serve a certain role in the story, that. If I bring mm-hmm. in in the earliest stages of creating that character, you know, how do I want the party to feel about this character? Do I want them to like mm-hmm. them? Do I want them to respect them? Do I want them to fear them? Um, then once I know how I'd like them to feel, I can then integrate into that character. Okay, well, I know that, you know, this this player character uh, really likes uh, researching, really likes books. So if I have this uh, NPC run a library, oh, man, mm-hmm. they're going to instantly connect with that character, right? Um, so thinking about how you want the party to react is often a really good start as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to, you know, kind of build on top of that, I, uh, I'm currently running an Eberron, uh, game, a D and D game with my, my, uh, uh, weekly game here and my, my close friends. And, um, I, I have the party kind of over a barrel right now because they ended up, well, I, I sort of, <laughs> did the DM thing where I manipulated them into doing things that they didn't want to do, which was to smuggle some illegal goods over the border mm. um, into into the city of Sharn. Um, and they, of course, got caught because it was all a setup to get them caught and to get the uh, the the party to sort of owe a debt uh, to someone for getting them out of prison, more or less. It's a simplified version of what happened there. Yeah. Um, but the the person that ultimately bailed them out is, uh, you know, a, a member of Clan Boromar, which is like this like mob like 
family that exists in Sharn. I mean, they are essentially the mafia in Sharn. Um, and um, I I had to come up with a, you know, sort of person that's going to be the face of Clan Boromar to the party right now for this exact instance, right? So, yeah, I was trying to imagine, like, okay, what are some things that are going to really, like, upset the party, make them frustrated with this guy, also make him, you know, have that position of, like, power and authority so they have a little bit, bit of fear of him? Um, and sort of use those questions to craft this particular, you know, sort of not not mob Don necessarily, but maybe, you know, middle management of the mafia. Right. Like he's got a lot of things going underneath him and he has a lot of clout behind him as well. But he's maybe not the most important person in the mafia family. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, just creating this sort of like sleazy, smug, always smells like cigar smoke, like kind of using some of those classic mob tropes and then, you know, building out on top of that in ways that I know are going to annoy the hell out of my players. Um, but they feel they are still like sort of obligated to do what he needs them to do, essentially. Um, yeah, playing playing into uh like well-known well-established tropes uh not mm. not stereotypes obviously but like uh you know having the trope of the the mafia don with so you know cigar smoke that's very evocative and when you use different little little tropes little uh you know uh cultural touchstones uh mm -hmm. to to highlight how uh an npc is you can use those to help guide your players to to understand that character in a particular way. Um, I actually, uh, uh, one of the foundational characters for uh, what ended up being a campaign, it was a one shot to start, um, was mm -hmm. this little, I had this concept for this little sorcerer girl. She, she's only, you know, 10 years old and mm -hmm. she's incredibly powerful and she's really lonely at home one day. And so she reaches across space and, and universes and plucks some souls out of our world to come and inhabit <laughs> some of her dolls. Oh boy! Um, okay, and that's how that that one shot kicked off. And mm -hmm. while that could be be a very menacing thing, right? Like if I just mm -hmm. if I just created a character who did that, then you know mm -hmm. the players might react to that very negatively, very like ah, you know, scared. This person's dangerous and all this stuff. But like right. I I knew when I first created uh, her, her name is Aria, uh, that she was like she's just this lonely little girl who happens to be very, very powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what I wanted the players to feel was like sort of protective of her, want to help her, want to go mm -hmm. back home, obviously, but also like to, to take care of her, to, to connect with her. Uh, and so for me, a lot of the cultural touchstones that I sort of, I, I, I dipped into one, uh, several of the, the tropes that I played into was anyone who's familiar with, with anime and, and the idea of moe, uh, mm. Like I, I thought of like every every, you know, little little, you know, child character who in in those type of stories we were supposed to think is like cute or or uh, you know, adorable or or in mm -hmm. need of of help. Um, uh, uh, one that popped to my mind immediately is there's a, a really, really great uh, uh, manga called Yotsuba, uh, which is just about this dad and his daughter. Uh, and she's adorable and just does like kid stuff, right? She, she runs mm -hmm. around, she, she has very stream of consciousness, says really outrageous and stupid things. Uh, and As kids are one to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and just, just dials that up to 11, mm -hmm. right? So it's, you know, normal kids, they do a lot of normal stuff too, but like, you know, on screen kids, you know, who, who are supposed to be that, that ideal of being a child, right? 
um, mm-hmm. there's they're wild. They're, they're crazy. Uh, and so I definitely leaned into that for her character. Uh, she <laughs> they asked her like how old she was and she didn't know. So she started she started counting birthdays by like what she got. Uh, uh-huh. And like okay. so that, <laughs> uh, and that gave us an opportunity to do a little bit of world building, too, because that like then established mm-hmm. her relationship with her mom and like mm-hmm. other stuff. So. It's thinking about how you want the players to feel about them. You can you can use all sorts of uh, you have lots of different tools in your tool belt, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those is like tropes and and little commonalities um, that you can just expect that people will understand in a particular way. And and that always is easier when you know the group that's playing, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I definitely think that knowing your your players uh, is. Or you know, learning who your players are if you're playing with uh, with strangers, you know it, it happens over time. But um, knowing them and, and understanding how they're going to react to certain things or how their their takes on you know certain types of people or certain characters are going to influence how they interact with them um, and their player characters as well, right? Because the character that they're playing might be a little bit different than who they are, or you've noted that the you know these certain uh things from their their past or from you know their interactions with other people in the world and how that might influence how they're going to view this particular npc that you're you're creating um yeah just uh, again like knowing knowing your players and and talking with them kind of getting the the that sense of of uh how they're going to react will absolutely yeah inform the de- the decisions and choices that that you make with uh, with your NPCs there, um, and I, I definitely think that using using those tropes and using other inspiration can uh, can be a great influence there for um, uh, intentional NPCs. I have uh, a sort of like head of the the department or dean of the school of of research that my party is sort of. Uh, uh, well, they're they're working for essentially mm-hmm. um, at at the University of Arcanics in in Eberron. Um, and I decided that this NPC, even though she is like you know a female halfling, so very different from the character that I'm going to be pulling from, I I wanted to pull a lot of influence from uh, Walter from the show Fringe. I, I don't mm. know if you're familiar with that. It ran for a couple seasons several years ago. Um, uh, heard, heard of it? Don't this... think I've seen an episode myself. Okay. Yeah, no, no worries there. But he's this like really eccentric um, scientist that has, uh, I mean, he's done a lot of awful things in his past as well. And he is like somewhat trying to make up for them too. But he also just is very, I, I don't want to say necessarily stream of consciousness, but he gets so wrapped up in whatever it is that he is important to him and what it is that he wants to find out about that he just sort of forgets about. <laughs> the world and like other cultural norms and, and mores and things like that. So those boundaries often don't exist for him. Many times they walk in on Walter and he's like tripping on acid and they're like, well, Walter's <laughs> just on acid for this episode. So what are we going to do with that? Right. So I wanted to pull some of those types of aspects to sort of fill in this eccentric uh, researcher person that the party's going to have to deal with on, on a very regular basis and is one of their main like quest givers more or less for the campaign. Oh, and, um, and that's actually a really great example of of something uh, I I really want to highlight for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to just do straight up IP theft for character ideas. <laughs> I, for sure. I, in small ways, right? It, there's always like taking mm-hmm. something and doing a twist on it. It's not just, you know, recreation, but it 
it's really uh, a great way, especially when you're playing with friends and, and you want them. Uh, it, it can be great for jokes. It can be great for producing a certain experience. Uh, like mm-hmm. a, as a small example, there's like a, a ranch hand I had in one game. His name was Samathan and Samathan uh, sounded and, be, and like acted just like Bob Ross. Uh, and, and that was just like who Samathan was like you, you talk about Excellent. he was uh, he mostly uh, they mostly encountered him when he was like you know chopping wood and things so he'd be like you know mm. oh, I've got this really nice axe over here and I'm gonna take a happy little swing and, uh, and just chop the devil out of this tree exactly uh, <laughs> and and like you can do that you know this is mm-hmm. this is yeah. an extremely free-flowing medium you know if there's a character in a show For you sure. love and you have a role in your game that a character like that might fill uh well like what's stopping you uh right you know but and i think then like the the key facet there is you don't just pick up that person and drop them in your world you you pick up the qualities that you admire about that character or that you mm. hate about that mm-hmm. character even uh, yeah. And you bring those into this new character who lives in your world. And so some details should be be guided by your setting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, we've talked a lot about how to sort of like uh, conceptualize, you know, these intentional NPCs. So, David, I, I guess my question for you now is like once you have the the concept down and you've, you know what sort of character you want to introduce to the party – you know, what, what do you do from there to then, you know, make them more interesting, more filled out, seem more, um, you know, like a real person that the, the party's having to interact with? Yeah, uh, I think we, we started touching on this a little bit earlier with the idea mm-hmm. of layers, right? So each time uh, the party interacts with an NPC, uh, you have like an opportunity to add a little bit more detail, right? And, and this isn't something you need to even do all of up front. Although with uh, intentional mm-hmm. NPCs, it's always good to have a few of these things already established so you're ready to reveal them in character, in game. Um, but those these, these layers are just like different additional facets that make them uh, unique and interesting. And like you can use mm-hmm. uh, role tables for these sorts of things. You can use inspiration from characters you you know of that you, you appreciate or you like. Um, but these layers are things like uh, actually, I put together a little uh, acronym tips, um, which <laughs> nice. is uh, trajectory, intent, uh, problem and scruples uh, like trajectory is like, where are they coming from? Where are they going? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's that's one layer to their character. If you have a character who is a, a, a merchant or like, you know, owns a shop. Um, well, what if sometime the party encounters them while they're out and about in between cities? Well, like, why would they be there? Well, mm-hmm. uh, they just came from, you know, city, you know, they just came from city X, they're going to city Y and they're peddling these particular goods. Okay. Well, now you've established that's something that this character is interested in, has an investment in, uh, and that can pull them deeper into the story, make them more significant. Um, intent is like, what do they want? Uh, how does, mm-hmm. and like, how does what they want relate to the story itself? Right. Um, because. If you bring in any NPC, whether that's just a bit character or whether that's one you're intentionally adding, um, mm-hmm. as as the the game master, you have a certain onus to have all of your characters matter in some way to the world, uh, and, mm-hmm. and even if that absolutely. is to serve as a joke, right? Like, <laughs> right? Absolutely, you know, you know, goofs are valid uh, and and should be part of your games uh, if if you're you know if you have that sort of a game going. 
Um, but having them want something, even if that's not necessarily like specifically aligned with the party, um, right. that can help, you know, build on them as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think having goals that are contrary to the party is, yeah. or to what the party wants is, is super useful as well. I mean, as an example, my, my Mafia Don, you know, not Don, but Mafia figure uh, wants something from the party and they definitely don't want to do that. But because of how, you know, he's interacted with the world around them, they sort of are uh, obligated to, to go across, go, go alongside him. Right. Yeah. So having that, creating that conflict. Uh, between the uh, the intent of the NPC and the intent of the the players is is a really interesting dichotomy as well. Yeah, having having NPCs who who have things that they want that that the players mm-hmm. don't want specifically uh, that can make them antagonists. Uh, but then also those those characters can serve uh, you know in in roles that support the party too, where they have overlapping mm-hmm. interests. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a a a warlock whose patron. Uh, is is as warlock patrons are wont to be uh, not a very good person. Uh, <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she she is one of the potential uh, BBEGs, big bad but evil guys oh, for that game. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's been several points in the in the course of that campaign where she's been of great help to the party, uh, mm-hmm. and then there have been other times where they've, especially as they've learned more about you know what what various misdeeds that character has been responsible for in that world uh, where mm-hmm. they've had very serious misgivings about even doing things uh, that help them that they don't think will contribute to anything bad um, mm-hmm. because there's just that that risk that you know your own actions might be bent against you um, so having having NPCs who have intentions um, that I would say though that they should still overlap in some way, either positive mm-hmm. or negative with the party, um, right. just so that they matter. Right. Right. Um, absolutely. If there's, if there's no clash whatsoever, if, if like, you know, the party wants to get to this other continent to go and, you know, fight a dragon, uh, and this NPC wants to run this noodle shop here, like that's cool. And, and maybe we'll say hi to them as we pass, but that right. NPC doesn't, you know, isn't going to matter to that story necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas the uh, the captain of the ship that can take them across to the continent yeah. because he is searching for some lost treasure on that car- continent um, is going to be much more enticing and much more of a uh, solid like connection for the party to go alongside. Right. Yeah. Because al- although you have some some difference in intent and difference in interests, you still have that overlap, uh, which which means mm-hmm. that there is there is that path that if we walk it, they matter to the story. Right. So. Mm hmm. Um, absolutely the there's also like uh, on top of intent which is like you know more their mentality there's like their problems mm-hmm. as well right mm-hmm. uh you mm-hmm. know well what's keeping them from getting what they want right. uh if you are that ship captain who who wishes to find this buried treasure or or you know some treasure under the sea um mm-hmm. why do you like why do they need the party what's what's stopping them from getting what they want uh why do they need right. that help um and Problems are great. NPCs with problems are the best thing you can give the party because that gives the party something to do, right? Whether it's help or hurt that For NPC. Sure. Uh, if an mm-hmm. NPC has a problem, they are in- immediately more interesting to the the players. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, giving 
um, like some some goals for the party just sort of innately, right? Like this NPC, this captain of the ship wants to go and find this treasure and the party can then investigate like, oh, you know, why, what's, cop- what's stopping them from going? You know, is there a monster that we need to be wary of? Is this, you know, some cursed place that we need to be careful treading into? Uh, is this captain, when they get the treasure, are they going to use it for some ill intent? Um, it it just provides all of these options for them to investigate and then react to. And and how how do they want to, uh, to like you said, you know, they can either help or hinder or maybe be neutral, but, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully they can take (laughs) one side or the other. Right. So, yeah. And and if an NPC has a a problem, you know, uh, there's, there's something to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just like, you know, it's one thing for, uh, an NPC to to sit in the corner and and you know like maybe maybe they have something they want maybe they maybe they relate to the story in some way uh, but like when they have when there's something stopping them when there's when there's something in their way that is a a point of of interaction of potential uh, yeah as as you said either you're helping or hurting um, mm-hmm. that and that's story uh, I mean all, all plots yeah. are are overcoming obstacles right. Absolutely. Yeah. Without conflict, there is nothing, no interesting story. A story story without conflict is not really a story at all, I guess. So, (laughs) yeah, it's just a series of events that don't really, you know, mean or amount to much. (laughs) Exactly. I think uh, one of my one of my favorites as far as, you know, those those problems often are uh, is when it's not it's always nice to have like a really obvious physical uh, problem. Like for instance, mm-hmm. uh, you have a character who, Oh, actually uh, <laughs> in, in there, there's like that live action jungle book movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's a bit where blue wants the honey from this, you know, from this uh, uh, beehive uh, that mm-hmm. is up on the side of this cliff. Uh, and the only way, like there's a physical distance between the two of them and mm-hmm. blue can't get to it. Uh, and so he enlists, you know, uh, Mowgli to go and and help him get it uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, he he can maybe overcome this this real physical, tangible obstacle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really interesting when you have NPCs who have intangible obstacles uh, or or mm-hmm. like yeah. pr- problems that are are bigger. Right. Like if you have a character whose goal maybe is to get on, a, a, you know, there's a city council and they really want to get one of those seats. They want to be able to you know, mm-hmm. help their community in some way. And if there's like political machinations or if there's, uh, you know, social obstacles, uh, those can mm-hmm. also be real problems that are, you know, very interesting for a party to, you know, for your players to have to untangle because there's mm-hmm. like more complexity in solving that problem than in scaling a cliff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think those uh, those social um, like it's like navigating the the dangerous waters of like society and local politics, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's um, you know one one good example that I'll actually pull from I guess the the water deep like Dragon Heist and uh, I, I guess do they appear in Dungeon of the Mad Mage? No, probably not. Probably just Dragon Heist. Um, there's an an NPC. Uh, who is a a noble, mm-hmm. um, and she has a. Oh, I guess she does actually appear in uh, Dungeons and Mad Mage. Anyway, so her her uh, family has this sort of like shame to them, right? They were caught uh, generations ago selling slaves, which was highly illegal in Waterdeep, and now 
their family is like while retaining their noble status they've been pretty much brought to the ground essentially um so she has this goal and this drive to you know bring her family up in the ranks and sort of clear the name of her family as well um which is something you know a, a sort of thread that is not uh immediately evident within the sort of campaign or mini campaign of Waterdeep Dragon Heist but you know, depending on how the party interacts with this NPC and, and with the choices that they make, potentially, you know, you can very easily just kind of turn the whole campaign into this sort of political intrigue and in trying to help this particular NPC, you know, ach- achieve their goal. Um, yeah. And uh, overcome that. So that's one of the that's like exactly the sort of really interesting problems you can give your your NPCs that can, I mean, sometimes spin off into their own whole campaigns. Right. Mm hmm. Right. Uh, and with with that noble family and with like, you know, that very storied past uh, that actually uh, introduces another uh, element you can use, another layer to add to your NPCs mm-hmm. that that. You know, defines them in a particular way, uh, which is like, what are they willing to do to get what they want? What are their you know, what are their mm-hmm. scruples? Where do they draw the yep. line? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if they've been disgraced and, you know, will they stop at nothing to reestablish, you know, reassert their honor? Um, what what are they willing to do themselves and what are they willing to get other people to do for them? Yeah, absolutely. And those those types of scruples, as I mentioned in our, our care, like PC building, uh, you know, player character building episode a couple of weeks back, which, you know, I, I use some of our notes from from that to build our, our conversation today here as well for the notes. But that that question of like, what are what is this character willing to do to get what they want? To me, that's something that's one of the most defining questions for that character. Yeah, because um, all of these other aspects sort of, you know, build up into who, who they are and where like what their their goals are and, you know, where they come from and all of that sets a really nice groundwork. But that question of what am I willing to do to get what I want and how far will I go to get what I want? Um, is something that's going to sort of compel them for moving forward, right? And and for all of the interactions that they're going to have um, with the, the party as well, potentially, as they are, you know, helping along that NPC's, like, you know, character quest line, essentially. Yeah, and, and that line, wherever you draw it for the character, uh, like, it's always interesting. Because mm-hmm. you, you can have characters who like will legitimately stop at pretty much nothing, and or maybe like will constantly redefine where that line is drawn. They'll, they'll think they'll never mm-hmm. go past something else, and then a, a you know a juicy opportunity pops up, and you know it it requires them yeah. to go just a little a little past that line. How firm is that <laughs> yeah, line? Let me just redraw that line ever so slightly. <laughs> and and those characters are really interesting. But then it's also really interesting to have characters where that line is like very, very, very close. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I have a, uh, an NPC in a game who is among, you know, potentially one of the eight most powerful people in this this whole setting and this whole this whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're a complete pacifist. Uh, they they will not, you know, you know, be part of violence against other people. They just won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a, a very strong and, and firm line for them. And that means that that character goes about things in a very particular way, mm-hmm. um, in yeah. order, in order, like it doesn't stop them from still having goals. It just means they go about them in other ways. Right. Um, and so as long as you draw that line for a character, it's always interesting wherever you do draw it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this, uh, sort of acronym that you've built here, the tips is, is 
astounding. And I'm absolutely stealing it for myself here. So oh, thank you please for do. giving that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. Well, yeah, I guess any, any other like, uh, you know, additional layers or anything that you would want to add uh, on top of that as far as, you know, creating uh, unique and, and interesting NPCs? Yeah. Once you've hit those those major topics, then it's just, you know, what makes what makes this person, you know, interesting? What makes them fit here? Um, it's because th there's no end to the number of mm -hmm. layers you can attach, especially for long running NPCs. Mm -hmm. um, but like one of the, the big areas for for, you know, constructing motivations, you know, you know, figuring out what your NPCs motivations are uh, is like the first step. And then you can establish you know, what they are motivated by uh, and, you know, what motivates people so often is relationships, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you, you know, how do you relate to, how does this NPC relate to the city they live in? Uh, do they have relatives, uh, you know, you know, maybe kids? Do they have, do they have mm -hmm. uh, a, a partner? Uh, have they had a, a partner in the past who they may be estranged from? Um, mm -hmm. Do they have really good friends who live here or elsewhere? Um, one of my favorite questions to ask about an NPC um, is like, who do they come home to live for? Um, whether that be is that is that people? Is it animals? Uh, is it mm -hmm. is it or is it like just like a, a you know a, a personal shrine they have in their house to to their parent maybe who who they had a, a particular estrangement with and they that motivates them to try to do better or something. You know, people have really deep motivations sometimes especially when it late when it relates to their relationships with other people mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i, I think um th those relationships uh like you mentioned that you know there, there can be almost no limit to layers there can be almost no limit to the relationships that they build as well right like they have these people that they're close with um their family friends uh partners so forth there but also you know how do they relate to you know, other people in in the world are there and you know outside of those immediate uh, attachments that they have you know do they interact with the party in a certain way do yeah. they interact with maybe other npcs like is there a rival blacksmith across town that they really hate or um you know maybe they're it's more of a friendly rival where they're constantly challenging each other you know what what's sort of the uh, the dynamic that they have between themselves and and other individuals throughout the world yeah, fr friendly rivalries are always fun, uh, and and unfriendly rivalries too, <laughs> for sure. But having NPCs know each other uh, is is really great for two reasons. Uh, one, sort of tying back to what we said earlier about like your NPCs should care about things that matter to the party. Um, mm -hmm. If your NPCs know other NPCs that the party knows, uh, or uh, if they've like you know maybe have a lead on somebody, and you know one person they already know already knows that person. Well, mm -hmm. now that that web of interconnections uh, serves two great purposes. One, it makes those NPCs they already know matter more because they know information right. about other you know piece, NPCs that they care about. Um, but also, like, it, you know people, you know, right? <laughs> it, it, it makes <laughs> yeah, the, people it makes know them feel people. like people. Yeah. Yeah, people know each exactly. other, uh, yeah. and like it's it's crazy sometimes. Like, there's like the whole idea of the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Where, you know, if you you go through your own connections, even somebody will have a connection to somebody all the way to Kevin mm -hmm. Bacon uh, yeah. or, or actually, I think that's more for movies, but either way. Well, yeah. So so I think it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon is the movie thing. But there is the idea of like six degrees of separation connects the whole world, which yeah. is kind of what that that is based on there. 
Yeah, um, and and I think that if you're building, uh, you know, your your fantasy setting or or your your own headcanon world, um, mm-hmm. it makes sense for that to be the same way. Uh, people of all kinds, uh, we're still community creatures, and we like to know other people. It just absolutely. makes them just makes them feel real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think those those other relationships. Um, can have a, you know, a variety of nuance to them as well. Not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I like or I dislike this person, but, you know, do I maybe regret an interaction that I had with them? Do I owe this other person something? Something that was really, really interesting to me in y'all's, um, oh, what was the the vampire game that oh, you, you uh, played? Undying. Was your second one? Undying, yeah. yeah. The uh, the idea of the the debts uh, the, as a core mechanic for the game or the, uh, the favors or whatever it's called in the game. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, but, um, yeah, it's yeah it was debts. Okay. Yeah. The, yep. It was major and minor debts, right? Is yep. that okay? Yeah. So that, that idea as a core mechanic was super fascinating to me. And I think that that, uh, sort of gives the, um, the players a, uh, a, a connection to the, uh, the NPCs as well. Like maybe the, some some NPC owes a debt to the players or the players owe a debt to some NPCs, right? And they just have that, that just adds that extra layer onto their relationship with that individual, right? Yeah. Um, in, in ways that can be really, really fascinating. For sure. As a as a GM exercise, uh, one of the things that I learned after starting to play Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, is that the, the idea of having a relationship map uh, that you know, sort of tracks uh, on a, you know, on a graph of, of, you know, with your nodes being different characters, different NPCs and PCs alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you draw lines between them representing their connections, uh, whether those be, those could be debts, you know, regrets, secrets. Uh, they could be uh, other kinds of bonds, friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having a relationship map is, is pretty common in the design ethos for Powered by the Apocalypse mm-hmm. games. And it's something that, uh, I don't care what game system you're running. If there's characters in it, it's a really useful exercise for you to do as as the you know as the game master uh, to help you better understand how folks relate to each other. And when you have a relationship map and you can see you know how crazy the web is, uh, it it becomes pretty clear you know like oh wow this person's connected to a ton of people. What if mm-hmm. I what if I started pulling on some of those strings? You know, mm-hmm. who, who would who yeah. would that start to reach out to? Um, and it's a really great exercise. And it's it's one of the, you know, coolest things I think I've learned from from playing a lot of different Powered by the Apocalypse games. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I haven't used a like actual layout myself here. But now that we've talked about it, I might actually have to do something like that and sit down and actually draw that that uh, relationship uh, map or web out. Um but yeah, I mean, that seems like a, a fascinating idea on just kind of all of these connections. And then that just gives me as a as a DM or a GM, you know, more inspiration for how can I uh, twist this story in this world in such a way that kind of leads me down the path that I'm trying to guide my one shot or my campaign or, you know, whatever it is that you're you're working with there. Um yeah, that's excellent. Thank you for that. Again, I'm stealing all of these ideas <laughs> for you. That's really the real purpose of this show is just for me to become a better DM for my players. So thank you for assisting me. In well, that. <laughs> I love I love having these sort of conversations for the the very same reason. Uh, uh, excellent. One one thing I sort of learned, uh, I I did 
<laughs> there was a period of my life where I was uh, uh, teaching mathematics uh, mm-hmm. to to students, uh, and you never realize how uh, how something really works until you have to teach it to someone else. Mm. Uh, and and so like having the opportunity to have these sorts of conversations gives you know gives me the opportunity uh, not not to say that i'm a, a teacher by any stretch in this domain i, I mm-hmm. i'm just sharing my experience right? Uh, right i'm no expert um but it helps me codify what i think is important um and and what i understand from those experiences and so mm-hmm. being able to to sh- you know when you when you have these sorts of discussions with people you're able to better understand uh your own understanding as well as theirs um, yeah, so sure. it's really useful to do. And one thing I wanted to to point out again for anyone listening, um, as you're making a character, um, obviously there's you. It's really easy to get decision paralysis um, as you're you know trying to like. But what would be you know, most interesting to add to them? What would be like really cool mm-hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to like get a little bit overwhelmed by that, especially by something as complex as like you know creating a human. Um, but mm-hmm. I, something I, I try to remind myself and I, I try to remind others as well is like you will never have just one good idea. Like no such thing. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as one good idea. If if you come up with a idea, run with it and then mm-hmm. have the next one. Like there there is especially in, in TTRPG, which is all very, very free flowing. Like mm-hmm. if, if someone else has an idea, add it in, bring it in, and then just build mm-hmm. on that. For sure. It's it's very yes and in that way. Uh, and never never fear that your idea isn't good enough because like it's the same as all your other ideas. There's no perfect idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take the one you have, run with it, and then have another idea, and then take that one and run with it. Um, and don't be afraid to just commit to the bit and uh, yeah. go with whatever you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely like the idea of uh, the idea of taking people's uh, ideas and running <laughs> with them as well. Um, that's you know, kind of circling back to the uh, the unintentional NPC. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I like to do is my what I call an uh, "I know a guy" rule, oh, where yeah. I give the players the opportunity to create an NPC that they would have some. Uh, sort of connection to right. So if the party is in need of, you know, some particular role to fill, and I'm like, well, I, I don't have anything ready for that because I wasn't expecting you to ask me to find this type of person. So uh, why don't why don't you instead tell me, you know, this person that you know and have a connection with already, uh, who they are, a little bit about them, and kind of what your relationship is with them, and then we can use that to create this NPC and have this person in in the world. Yeah, one of one of the, the biggest things I've taken from PBTA and like reflected back to every other game that I run uh, mm-hmm. is is that idea of like reflecting questions back onto the players, especially mm-hmm. when I don't know what to do myself. Uh, <laughs> For sure. It's like, oh, yeah, like you're right. Like there should be someone who does that. Who is it? Like, you know, tell me about them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the great thing about doing that is like a players get to engage more with the story, which is really fun for them. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, like, it takes a little bit of, you know, that computational, uh, uh, you know, effort off of you uh, as as the GM. And also, it like, you know, we have our ideas and you can't have someone else's ideas. Um, but if you ask them for them and ask them to contribute them, then you can add mm-hmm. other people's ideas to your things as well. Uh, and having that extra variety always makes for a fascinating story um always makes adds that that interesting element mm-hmm. 
What's what's your favorite yeah. thing that a player has brought into a game that they've, oh, they've breathed life into? Um, yeah, you're putting me on the spot here, I and am. now I'm having to like actually think about <laughs> things. Um, so uh, I guess in in my previous campaign, I was running Descent to Avernus, hmm. and uh, we got got through all of that and got the party back to Baldur's Gate, um, and they decided that they wanted to you know keep keep playing um with those same characters even though they had sort of accomplished the mission of you know the that campaign so it was sort of whipping up this other story that uh would use some of the the threads that we had created within the initial campaign and and sort of take those to their ultimate conclusion there um but at some point the uh our cleric or rob who was actually my my host uh for season one mm-hmm. um just asked me he was like hey uh would i know anybody else like any other like clerics in in the world and i'm like well yeah probably like who would you know so we got to just sort of like spitball back and forth this uh um other you know cleric for uh not for because he was a dwarf and he was wor- worshiping moradin now i'm trying to remember who <sighs> Again, you're putting me on the spot here, and I'm trying to remember <laughs> all these things. Um, but but anyway, it just it, it became this sort of touchstone for them when they needed like um, you know any any sort of spiritual advice. They would come to this particular NPC for the rest of that second half of the the campaign, right? So yeah. it just gave me an, an a way to well, if someone had a sort of divine connection to the gods and was going to you know give the party advice or nudge them in certain ways, like you know what would that look like right and it was this the the uh the player rob had come up with this person and then i just got to sort of run with that and uh again sort of take it to its its logical conclusion of what that sort of role would be for for the party and for for the world there as well um so it got to be this nice little um I guess totem uh, that I got to to set in the you know spiritual guidance almost for yeah. for the party um, without them really realizing it because they were just talking to this other cleric friend that they had known from cleric school right like yeah <laughs> and that's like yeah. a great example of like that seed was then created by a player right mm-hmm. they yeah. they they invented the you know the there's a purpose or role that needed filling. Uh, we, we had an instance where a layer was added to another character because uh, I was running this game. And uh, <laughs> if you've listened to our Undying game, you'll be unsurprised to hear that vampires sometimes make their way into other games that I run. Uh, <laughs> and we were, we were playing some D&D and uh, one of our uh, PCs actually was a vampire of sorts. He was cursed mm-hmm. by a god with something very similar to vampirism. Uh, okay. But they, they didn't have many of the powers that often, you know, a master vampire might possess. Uh, mostly for balance reasons, <laughs> uh, but they uh, at one point he was like, "Oh, like I've been around for you know several hundred years, um, hmm. and and this is a world that has vampires in it who are you know generally bad and are hunted and stuff. Um, right. I probably know a vampire hunter that you know I might even have like a relationship with in some way. Like they might have tried to kill me, and maybe we struck up a, hmm. a, a, a tense friendship, if you will, uh, and." <laughs> I was I really didn't want to have to create a new PC uh, or a new NPC mm-hmm. rather uh, because we we were already juggling a lot of people at that time. So I was like, OK, well, somebody needs to be this character. And mm-hmm. there's this this shopkeep. Uh, his name is Deep Eddie. He runs the discount distillery. Uh, 
you know, just come down to deep eddies for your discount potions. Uh, they may or may not work. Um, <laughs> when, when you take Fantastic. one of them, when you take one of them, you have to t- do a constitution saving throw. Uh, oh, lovely. And if you succeed, I, I then love it works. some off brand, uh, potions oh yeah absolutely so. they're they're just count for a reason uh but <laughs> yes. uh we decided that deep eddie who's this gnome uh who's who's been around for a few few hundred years uh mm. that he is actually like that's him going around as a merchant for potions is just a cover for him being a vampire hunter mm, uh, and so deep eddie vampire hunter came into being uh and because of that he became a much more important npc to the game uh mm, and he mm-hmm. has this really special relationship with the players and so you can take your players ideas and integrate those um and that is such a wonderful way to collaboratively build an npc yeah Absolutely. Um, I, I guess any, any other, uh, you know, tips or advice when it comes to uh, these unintentional NPCs? I know we've talked a lot about our, you know, takes yeah. on intentionals and fleshing them out. But uh, any, any any other tips that you would give to uh, a listener, perhaps, who, you know, maybe struggles with creating people on the fly? Um, yeah. What, what would you say to that individual? So, so I would say uh, that you the the creation of an unintentional npc uh is very simple uh, or or sorry very similar to uh an intentional npc but a lot briefer uh mm. so in, instead of being you know start with a seed add layer add layer add layer add layer uh until you have like this fleshed out character um mm-hmm. you start with a, a seed and for a, an unintentional npc that is almost always a role right uh, where like suddenly you need a shopkeep or suddenly mm-hmm. you need a guard or, or suddenly you, you need this NPC. Um, and what I always try to do then uh, is just at bare minimum is to have that that core nugget, that role uh, and, and mm-hmm. give them a name. Uh, I try to name almost all of my NPCs. And if you struggle with names like I do, uh, I have a mm-hmm. generator always pulled up while I'm while I'm jamming. And for sure, if I don't yeah, already fantasy have like a name generator yes. is 100 percent a tool that I have every single time Life I sit saver. down for a game. Lifesaver. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so you know, when, when you give them a name, that name will also like suddenly give you a little bit more of a concept of who this character is, what they're like. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, you know, they have a role, they have a name. Uh, and then the the final thing that I make sure to give them in that moment is uh, what I call like a humanizer, uh, which mm, is mm-hmm. what is their immediate concern? Because like when the party encounters them, unless like their role was to wait for the party for some reason, um, right. they probably like they again. This is a world that they live in. This is a world that you know they interact with. So right. they should have some concern right now that has nothing to do with the party, like mm-hmm. whatsoever. Uh, and that could be like. They're uh, the owner at the local tavern, and that, that's like this mm-hmm. NPC we had to just create. We're going to call him uh, Douglas. So so Douglas is the owner of this local tavern, and uh, the party has just walked in. But because this, you know, because Douglas's barmaid just quit, uh, they've been running the bar directly uh, themselves, and they're just mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. swamped. So they're just like, you know, mad busy, and the party comes in, and they don't even like, you know, yell a greeting to them at the door because they're handling so many orders. And, <laughs> right. it, and suddenly, you've created both a circumstance, sort of accidentally, and also mm-hmm. you've added just a little bit of human flavor to this NPC. Mm-hmm. And, and then, yeah. Stop. <laughs> Quit adding layers. <laughs> this, <laughs> right. If it's a if it's an unintentional NPC, you don't have a role already for them to fulfill in the the overall campaign. They're not a very intentional character. So mm-hmm. 
this might just be the only interaction with them. So don't you don't have to right. go any further. You can just stop there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But of course, if if questions get asked, then you add layers as you go. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's uh, an excellent example. And I, I think that uh, it's something that is easily identifiable to the players as well. I think, you know, almost anybody has been in a situation where they've been kind of left in the lurch and now they're having to handle much more than they're used to being uh, used to having to handle. Oh, yeah. Um, so they they are o- overwhelmed and uh, just, you know, flying by the seat of their, of their pants trying to to take care of the situation that's at hand. Right. Um, and those sorts of uh, circumstances, like you said, that, you know, the, the players can relate to, they're just, that's just going to give them that much more, uh, life and, and make them, and those things that are like recognizable to the, the party or to the players are just going to make them more relatable as well. Yeah. Like, oh, I've been in that situation before. I know what that person is going through right now. So I, I get it. And, right. and when you add that relatability, because, you know, you, you relate it back to yourself, and you know you, you are a whole you know person. Uh, mm-hmm. It it produces this really effective most days. Uh, well, most days. <laughs> Some days <laughs> less though. Some days yeah. I'm a potato. Uh, but sure. it it produces this illusion that there's more under the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so even if even if that is the only interaction they have with them, uh, your players will come away thinking that you know they will come away fooled. I should say. Uh, right, that, right. that 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 character is a full person doing their own life um, because like, oh, you know, I, I saw them existing and, and mm. doing things that didn't have mm-hmm. anything to do with me, the party. What? That they must, you know, live too. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and <laughs> and so that that illusion uh, is is actually it's pretty cheap. It, it's pretty mm-hmm. cheap to put together. Uh, for for you and if you do it if you if you bother to do it and you're consistent with it then the immersive um, benefits that you gain from it are pretty great mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean kind of bringing us back around to what we uh we started with right is like having these uh these lived in well the the, the characters that live in the world that you are playing in right and these small little things um are those sorts of uh, either it, you know illusions of depth or actual depth to them that give the uh, the these you know random people that or individuals that the party is interacting with and the players are interacting with um, that sense of of life and uh, that they live in this world and that the world sort of exists beyond uh, the players as well and that's some that uh, <laughs> that's a really easy way to kind of trick your players into thinking that you have everything all planned out and they're playing <laughs> in this world that you've been weaving the webs together this whole time. And really you're just kind of, you know, pulling things out of your hats more or less, but in a way that makes it, uh, something tangible and something that the party can, can relate to, uh, just feel that much more, uh, real and, and lived in. Right. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite things when people uh, have like listened to the the podcast in some way uh, and and then, you know, ask me about, you know, planning for one of those games uh, mm-hmm. and I, I get to think, ah, they thought I was well planned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. It's it's very improvisational. Um, but mm-hmm. like when you when you have these these structured approaches to handling that improv, uh, like mm-hmm. you, you don't have to be a you know you know professional 
you know, imp- improvisational comic or, or you know, have done a ton of improv before to be able to right. think, you know, I need an NPC who does this job. Uh, I'm going to give them a name that I didn't even come up with. It was generated. And I'm going to give them an immediate concern. And like, I'm a mm-hmm. human. I've mm-hmm. had immediate c- concerns before. This this isn't a difficult thing to come up with, right? Like, right. they're a guard. Okay. Maybe they see something suspicious off in the woods. And so the mm-hmm. party comes up and they're a little bit distracted. Bam. They have a concern. Mm-hmm. I've, I've made them feel more real. And it doesn't take that right. much effort. And uh, you can really go by instinct for your answers. Like... And even if the the NPCs like, or even if the party starts asking your NPCs more questions, like this character didn't exist until five seconds ago, it's not going to kill your story <laughs> well, if they right. like a particular type of food, or if <laughs> you know, if they happen to <laughs> right, know someone right. in the town. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's not going to cause you irreparable damage to just you know go by instinct and answer answer questions as they come. Yeah, absolutely. I think being able to, you know, that uh, sort of improvisational skill is uh, something that is daunting to a lot of people. I think it's mm-hmm. something that um, maybe, you know, sets a like bars the the path for individuals to DM because they feel like they don't have the the sort of improv chops for it. And it's honestly like it's really something that's very easy. It, you just have to not worry about everything or any you know instance that you come up with sort of derailing the 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 task at hand right yeah. so finding ways to relate whatever is happening with that individual npc that you're making up to guide towards the ultimate goal of the adventure right so you know as as i've mentioned before like if your party decides that oh this random npc that you have described seems interesting even though you had just thought of them on the fly and now they want to go and talk to them and get information out of them well you just created that person but guess what now they have the information that the party needs exactly um because if they're focusing on that that means that they're engaging with that individual character so you might as well just sort of use that to convey whatever it is that you maybe would have conveyed through some other means in, in your notes there, right? Like now this person, this random, uh, you know, bugbear that's sitting in the back of the bar uh, happens to have the bit of information that the party will need. They know where the thing is or they know the person who knows where the thing is or, you know, something like that, right? Kind of using that to progress the story along, not grinding it to a halt just so that they can have a conversation with this random bugbear or this random guard or whatever right just yeah finding ways to use that to move forward and that and Super that's like hard. important for campaigns that's great for one shots uh if you have information or if you have things which the the party or the players need in order to continue uh don't be afraid even if you had an initial idea for where they should acquire that if mm-hmm. if the time is right for them to move on then wherever they're looking right now is now the right place to acquire that information. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and don't be afraid to do that because like if if it's where the players have taken the story, then it's uh I don't want to say it's the right place to go, but it's it's the way things are going and, and you should roll with that. Um it's it's a collaborative story that you're telling and part Mm -hmm. of that collaboration is the players from the description and from the world that you've built thinking that certain things are interesting and going to go check them out Um, yeah absolutely i mean that's that's kind of the nature of the tabletop rpg in in general right the players are gonna they're gonna do whatever they 
are most interested in and what's most engaging to them. So the best thing that you can do as a GM is to kind of roll with that and let the game sort of unfold in the way or in the direction that they are taking that. Yeah, uh, we're we're doing a big uh, time travel arc right now in my game that I've been running for three years uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, and so there's a lot of history already in that game. And mm-hmm. basically by doing that, you know, the the players have the power right now to dramatically alter this game, this world, this story. Um, and I love finding those good opportunities to give players that kind of power, um, because it's like what we talked about earlier about bringing in your player ideas, because at at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, like I only know the story I can tell, but when I bring in all these other interesting minds to contribute to it, well, now we're telling a far more interesting story than I would have ever been able to tell by myself. And so like, I, I, you know, always ask people embrace that. And embrace your play embrace giving your players power over the story mm-hmm. absolutely because things will get weird and that's good <laughs> weird is good weird I is absolutely always good agree with that awesome well david we talked a lot today i guess any um like parting advice or you know final words of wisdom or you know uh, maybe a few sentences to sort of summarize uh, your stance on on everything that we've talked today uh, talked about today or any you know final bits of wisdom that you would want to impart to our listeners here about you know creating some unique and, and interesting NPCs sure uh, I, th- I think if I were to boil everything down it's that if you if you just think about the end like you know having a fully fledged out npc that's you know you know perfectly fills the role and is infinitely complex and and all that stuff um that is extremely daunting and and can feel sort of impossible and i think in many ways especially hmm. like uh, creating a whole human being you know uh, that is well beyond your ability to do in a story setting like that um or any setting unless i guess you're you're victor frankenstein and you're you're making your monster um (laughs) but it's it's just an iterative process Uh, and you start small you start with with a seed that's a a joke or a role or or how you want people to feel about them and then you just add little interesting layers on top of that you know we talked about tips earlier with like you know Mm -hmm. trajectory where are they coming from where they're going intent what do they want problem like what's in their way scruples like what are they willing where do they drop the line uh and then like their relationships, their, you know, what do those relationships mean to them? What debts do they have? What regrets do they have? Um, what are they capable of? Um, so like you add those layers on top and you'll find very quickly that you either will have an incredible NPC with tons of tie-ins to the story and, and relationships with all these people um, who, who, you know, the characters really connect with because you, you thought in the very beginning about how you wanted them to feel about them. You'll either have that or you'll have like a really good facsimile of that, which is all you mm-hmm. really need in the end. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the beautiful thing about this is that it's a, the story, this, this whole, you know, the storytelling is all procedurally generated, right? There's, there's no, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know the next words that are going to come out of your mouth until they do. Uh, and so all you need to do is create the illusion of depth Uh, Mm -hmm. and creating that illusion is not i I won't say it's not hard uh, but it's not impossible it's just a step Mm -hmm. by step you know layer by layer adding piece by piece and it gets easier every time you do it um so 
don't be afraid to take other ideas uh, from other people, uh, <laughs> willing or not, uh, <laughs> yep. and and integrate those and just, you know, make your people feel like people. That's I think ultimately my ethos always comes down to that is like whether they're a good mm-hmm. person, whether they're a bad person, whether they're, you know, all that manner of spectrum in between. Um, people should feel like people. And if you uh, if you aim for that and if you accomplish that, then you're going to create interesting and compelling stories. Awesome. Yeah, very succinctly put. And I, I think, you know, my my biggest uh, takeaway or, or bit of advice that I hope people take away from this is is exactly that sort of, uh, you know, the the facsimile or the illusion of creating you know real people is much easier to obtain than sitting down and pulling every single thing about these these characters together Uh, and that's really what's most necessary is that um that sort of perception of it being a real person so uh because you know you're you're creating uh characters and you know people you want to create uh an individual a, a person right someone that seems real but you don't need to necessarily answer every single one of these aspects or these questions about all of these, you know, all of the things that we've come up with today, right? Yeah, a few absolutely. of them here or there can be enough in the moment um, or enough to get started with. And then as that NPC becomes more relevant or more, you know, connected to the the, the players or, or, you know, however that, that transpires, then you can begin to flesh out more and more about that individual. Um, and really give more and more depth to it. But as long as you can present some sort of, you know, it, it, illusion, I guess, or some uh, guise of a person there, um, what like we talked about, like with the immediate concerns or a role or some goals or some problems that they have that are going to be relatable to the party, that's going to be enough to get you started. And you don't need to worry about having all of the rest you know, down on paper necessarily. Like, it's great if you can, absolutely. And if you know that you're going to be putting together some vital NPCs, then yeah, I definitely recommend using all of these uh, tips and these questions that we've talked about today to figure out who they are. But it's not vital to have all of those answered when the party interacts with them immediately, right? You can figure out those things as you go. Um, Just as long as you can make them seem real enough at the time. Trust your gut. (laughs) Absolutely. Great. Well, uh, David, thanks for for coming on today. Uh, It's been a really awesome conversation. Also, how would you feel about just starting a One Piece podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't tempt me. Uh, (laughs) I I certainly could. (laughs) My my love my love for that property is is deep and and uh, is just a well um, Mm. of of delicious delicious water. Um, <laughs> yes, as that world has lots of, <laughs> um, for sure. So I don't know, you know, call, talk to my agent, you know, we, we, can, we can work something out. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll have my people call your yeah, people. Exactly. And we'll, we'll figure something out. No, th- um, thank you. No, thank, thank you for you. having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, def- I definitely want to give you the chance to, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your, yourself here and let our listeners know, you know, how they can get in touch with you or find out more about what you do and, and trials there. So, uh, yeah, the, the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, again, we we have a podcast called Trials of the Apocalypse. Uh, we do one shots in different Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, so far uh, out on available for you, there's a, a game we played in Apocalypse World, the system that inspired it all. Uh, we have Undying, uh, which is our, our diceless vampire RPG that we played. Uh, things get 
<laughs> things get a little bit crazy in that one and in the first one mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and we're currently releasing episodes for our Ghost Lines game, which is ghost busting on trains. And if that doesn't catch your interest, I <laughs> who are you? Uh, right. I, I read the like synopsis for that game and immediately knew we were going to play it. Um, and if you've ever heard of you know if you've ever heard of Blades in the Dark, a very popular RPG, uh, Ghost mm-hmm. Lines was the predecessor that John Harper made. So. If you're interested oh, awesome. in that world, it's set in the same uh, sort of, you know, it's set in the sh- in, in the Shattered Isles. So that's been really fun. Uh, I've really enjoyed editing those episodes because, boy, we get up to some stuff. Um, so I, <laughs> I invite you to come listen to our show. Uh, you can find it uh, anywhere, any podcatcher. Uh, you know, we always plug things like iTunes and Spotify, you know, Pandora mm. even. Uh, but if you have, uh, you know, a podcast library that you prefer, uh, we're probably in it. And if we're not... Uh, you can come and find us on Twitter at Tota Podcast. That's T O T A Podcast. Um, that's mm-hmm. our handle, uh, and you can find our our pinned post. There has a, a link tree link that you can click on and shows all the places we're available. Um, and if we weren't in your podcatcher, then like absolutely tweet at us, and we will change that. Um, we will make sure that we're listed in your directory as well. Um, but yeah, come and check out our show. Uh, we we have a lot of fun on it, um, and. It's it's been a really fun project to work on, and, and we're looking. We have really cool things in the works. Um, a little a little teaser for you. Uh, probably by the time, I don't know when uh, you'll get around to airing this. Um, but we'll probably be coming out with episodes then for Brindlewood Bay, uh, which is a fantastic mm. RPG um, by Jason Cordova, uh, where you play as uh, retired, uh, re- re- retired, retired <laughs> uh, uh, older ladies. Uh, in a in a community uh, on the the northeastern uh, coast of the United States uh, called Brindlewood Bay, uh, and you solve murder mysteries. Um, oh, excellent! It's and there's like an undercurrent. Uh, there's like a, a dark cult in the background that's masterminding things, and Ooh. you slowly uncover it over over time. And it's it's a very 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 cool RPG, one of the funnest I've played, and that game is a real banger. So um, I hope. I hope you come and and listen to our show then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, A fantastic show that you guys have there. And we've, Hannah and I have been listening to it uh, like we started from the beginning and we uh, actually just listened to y'all's first like, um, you know, session zero for Ghost Line. So I'm very excited to see where the actual game itself goes. Oh, it it goes places. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say, I I would say something about it going off of the rails, but it's on a train. So, uh, um, (laughs) yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, thank you, David. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. It's been uh, really awesome getting to, to chat with you here, and uh, I look forward to uh, you know c- continuing to communicate in the future as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Th- thank you again for having me. It's been it's been great, Mike. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, and for you, our listeners here, definitely go and, and check out uh, David and, and his uh, show there. Uh, if you are interested in uh, helping us out here at 19 Hits the Dragon, um, you can always leave uh, ratings, comments, reviews, whatever you can, wherever you get your podcast. You can contact uh, me directly at 19 Hits the Dragon uh, on Twitter. I uh, can also send an email if you're inclined to that at 19 Hits the Dragon at gmail.com. Um, or, yeah, if you like what you hear, tell 19 your closest friends. <laughs> um, but uh, thanks for coming out, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you again to David. And uh, we'll see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye-bye. Bye bye.